Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We're kicking off a new series that we're going to spend the rest of the year in. The title of this series is Resilient. Resilient. And I want to give you a definition of the word resilient because I want to make sure we're moving in the same direction because there's actually two parts to the word resilient and most of us probably think of one part more than the other. Here's the most simple definition of the word resilient. It means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Question, how many of us would say we are experiencing some difficult conditions right now? Eh, right? The last year and a half plus filled with difficult conditions. And the point of this series isn't to bounce back from what we've been through. The burden God gave us for this series is to go further than we've ever been, to be stronger than we've ever been. And I'm, I'm setting a very high bar for this series the next three months. The goal for this series is for you to be healthier and stronger in all of the six major areas of your life. That's the goal. So understand something. You have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do personally these next three months. We're going to go through the six major areas. We're going to spend two weeks on each one. This weekend is really just a setup, and I'm, I'm cramming three sermons into one. So we're going to be here until after lunchtime, all right? You're going to read a lot of your Bible, and if you wonder why we're going to read so much Scripture, here's the why. Because our faith needs to go to another level. We need to increase in faith. And what does Romans 10 say about faith? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing comes by what? The Word of God. My faith increases when I get more and more into the Word of God. And we're going to go through one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and this is the journey of the people of Israel out of Egypt. And the title of this message is, The Journey is Coming. But let me, let me set this up, because I, I, I've been around the church my whole life. I've heard a lot of messages uh, that kind of have the burden this one does. And let me just tell you something. I'm not going to spend any time talking about the promised land. With the title, The Journey is Coming, lots of people like to know, great, where does the journey lead? Here's my answer. I have no idea. I have no idea. I know God is saying to our church, and I believe to the Capital C Church, a journey is coming, a big one, a big one. Many of us are so distracted by the difficult things we've been enduring that we're we're possibly missing the memo to be preparing for the journey of a lifetime that's coming. And I'm not going to talk about the promised land. I'm not going to pull that lever to try and motivate you to do what needs to be done as a Christ follower. I'm just going to talk about the journey. And I'm going to call you to a measure of preparation. And this series is going to be really frustrating for some of us. In fact, I'd say for all of us, at least in one of the six pillars, this is going to be frustrating. And, and here's why. That just means you're doing it right. If this series, and after Thursday night, people were, I'm so excited about going on a journey. And honestly, every time someone said that to me, here was my thought. You have no idea what's ahead. Like you're so excited about going somewhere. But the, the more important that somewhere is, the more important preparation becomes. And preparation for a big journey isn't easy. Hard journeys require hard preparation. And we're going to spend the rest of this year preparing. We're not going to walk around and say, God's taking us somewhere incredible in 2022. Here's what I, I don't care where we're going. As long as he's leading, I'm in. This is why I don't know where we're going, because I'm not the leader. I'm just following the leader. I learned that game early on in kindergarten. Follow the leader. 
When you follow the teacher, the teacher gives you better grades. Follow the leader. I don't know where we're going. Noah didn't know where he was going. Furthermore, he didn't know how to get where he didn't know he was supposed to go. That's why God didn't hand him a steering wheel in the ark. God said, here, just build this boat. I'll make sure you get where I want you to get. This is for us. We're going to go on a journey together, and we must prepare. And our burden is to strengthen our church so that we have the ability to withstand, not just bounce back. So I want to give you a couple of, of points as we talk about this journey. And, and I couldn't come up with a, a better phrase for this journey than a God journey. So hopefully you understand what I'm talking about, a, a journey which God leads us on. Here's the first point. We got to talk about the challenges of a God journey. I'll give you three things. First, the first major challenge of a God journey is opposition. Opposition. If you're in Exodus chapter 14, let's start together in verse 10. And remember, this is the story. The the children of Israel have left Egypt, and they're in between Egypt and the Red Sea. Okay? Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. Okay, so get the picture. The children of Israel are walking towards the Red Sea, feel trapped, and behind them is Pharaoh and his army. And the Bible says the Israelites freak out because the Egyptians are overtaking them. Question, were the Egyptians actually overtaking them? Did the Egyptians ever even touch them? No, they did not. They were just getting closer. Okay, And there, there was a fear, we're going to talk about that in a second, that set in because they saw the opposition coming. Here's what you need to understand. One of Satan's favorite things to do is to attack what God anoints. If in your walk with Christ you don't expect opposition, here's what will happen. When it confronts you, you'll be tempted to run away from it. And let me just say this for the day in which we live, but this, this is true of the church in every day, no matter what. The path forward is never the path of least resistance. It's always the path of most resistance. That's in part how God gets more glory. If it were easy, they'd say it was because of us. There's going to be opposition. There already is. We're seeing it all over. But here's what we have to remind ourselves. Opposition is the ultimate compliment. Satan only opposes what scares him. So instead of freaking out when you feel some opposition in your own home, you need to walk around like a peacock in your house. He's picking on me. He wouldn't be picking on me if he wasn't afraid of me. Just just a, a little piece of free advice. It's not you that he's afraid of. It's the God of the universe who stands right behind you, towering over you, looking down on Satan as though he were a grasshopper. Have godly perspective of your opposition. Demonic opposition is simply a setup for divine showing of power. There's going to be opposition. Just get used to it. Here's the second challenge of a God journey. Fear. Fear. Faith and fear can't live in the same heart, for one will destroy the other. So the two are going to try and be at odds at all times. And we have to decide, will I walk in fear or will I walk by faith? Why do you think scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear? Cast out is a strong term, kicks out, abolishes. Why? Fear angers God. Fear causes us. An earthly fear causes us to cower rather than to stand confidently with the God of the universe on our side. Look at the second half of verse 10 in Exodus 14. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now watch what they say. 
Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken, taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt like this with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would that we would die in the wilderness. Think about what they're saying. God freed them. And because they're so afraid, they're looking back at slavery, calling it riches. You know fear is winning when the predictable hell of my past seems safer than the unpredictable path to God's promise for my future. The way forward is going to be scary from time to time. Want to know why? Because any path you've never traveled is always a little scary because you don't know where it's going to lead. But here's what I would say. Faith increases when we focus on God. Fear increases when we focus on the path. We have to choose. There's going to be a lot of unpredictable in this next season. If you need everything to be predictable in order to feel like you're, you're strong in faith, you're going to end up never being able to leave the house. Faith or fear? Fear is one of the challenges that has to be overcome in a journey where God leads us. Satan scares us where we are because he's scared of what will happen when we get where God is taking us. So now is the perfect time to scare you right where you are. I've told you my story years ago before Holly and I came here to plant this church in Scottsdale. The enemy started picking on me in a way I'd never felt picked on before, and it was through fear. And it was one lie he convinced me of. If you say yes to this assignment, to this call on your life, what I did to Job will pale in comparison to what I do to you. And I lived for two years believing that lie, waking up every morning in fear. The perfect time to scare me wasn't once I got here. It was before I ever left for here. Why do you think the enemy is trying to scare everybody right now? Because he's more afraid of where God is leading you than he is where you are right now. Here's the third challenge of a God journey. And some of you aren't going to like this one. Hard things. Hard things. Listen to this quote by Phillips Brooks. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for power equal to your tasks. Many of us are hoping that God will do the lion's share of the work. Watch what he says to the children of Israel, verse 16, uh, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. My favorite one-liner of this message, mankind is waiting for a move of God, while God is waiting for man to move. God says to Moses, enough crying about the situation. Tell the people to get moving. This is part of what we're feeling in this series. Enough crying about what's going on. I'm not saying it's bad. It's time to get moving. It's time to get to work. This is our chance as the body of Christ. There's pain everywhere. There's fear everywhere. There's suffering everywhere. There's unknown everywhere. This is our moment. It's time for the body of Christ to get moving. Now watch this next part, verse 16. God says to Moses, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water. Can you imagine if God told you to walk up to a body of water and divide it? Just go out to Saguaro Lake. And our whole church follows you. And God says, I just want you to go stand at the edge of the water, Preston. Hold up your staff and part the waters in front of everybody. Divide the water so Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Now, I know a lot of us, we read through these stories and we just think, oh, God asked Moses to raise his hand and part the sea. Okay, put yourself in his shoes. Can you imagine getting to the edge of the water and going, 
and the people around going, what is he doing? I'm about to divide the Red Sea. Do what? Okay, do you know how crazy that felt and looked? Here's what we all have to understand. One of the hardest things we're all going to be asked to do in this next season of our lives is to step out in faith in ways we never have before. And it's going to look and feel crazy a lot of the time. Walking with God does. Listen, if the earth understands every one of my steps, then I'm not in step with the God of the universe. I'm way too riled up this morning. But I need you to be riled up. This isn't about me getting all emotional. I'm not emotional. It's passionate. I need you to get riled up. I get you've taken some licks in this season. But instead of licking our wounds, God's given us, by his grace, he's given us time to prepare for the journey that's coming. What will we do with it? He's going to ask us to do some hard things. I don't know if anything is harder than taking huge leaps of faith. Huge steps of faith that look like this. Moses, hold up your staff and divide the waters. God's people were created to do impossibly hard things because in doing so, the God of the impossible gets all the glory. Take it as a compliment when he asks you to do something impossible. He says to Moses, do something impossible. Divide the waters. Another way of saying it, God was saying to Moses, do you trust me? When Peter walked on water, do you trust me? Is your faith in your comfort, Preston, or is it in your creator? Son, your behavior is completely different when your faith is in your creator, not in your comfort. You wake up every day looking for the path of most resistance because that's the path of the miraculous. Conversely, if you don't embrace hard things, by default, you will always look for the easy way out. I, I think there's an attack on the next generation. I hear this almost weekly about the younger generations, the two behind me, that there's this lack of ability or desire to do hard things. One of the things Holly and I are teaching our kids, you, you want to stay ahead of your generation, be, willing, be more willing to do hard things than them you'll dominate. You'll dominate. It's part of our job as parents to raise up our kids in strength so that when difficult things go down, they are ready. They're ready. And I'm not just talking about human strength. I just was talking with my daughter last night and she, her, the last line, we'd been texting for a long time and she said, I know one thing, I definitely could not do this without him, capital H. And I said, honey, that's the point of life right there. I can't do this without him. Hard things aren't nearly as hard when you're walking in step with the one who has all power. Here's the second thing. Point number two, we got to talk about the benefits. I know for some of you, you feel like I started off with the bad news. When you walk with the capital G Good news, bad news is always a setup for the best news. I want to I show you some of the benefits of a God journey. Here's the first one, his presence. I know some of us are inclined to take this lightly and think it's no big deal. Look in Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle... They might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness to the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Two thoughts in this passage right here. How many of us have learned that God is the God of the long way? Just put your hand up, okay? Anybody who doesn't have their hand up, you're about to learn it. He never takes the shortcut. Why? Because the longer the journey, the more opportunity for the miraculous. 
That's one of the reasons. I don't want our journey to be short. That's how I was when I was younger. Now, I look him in the face and say, buddy, let's, let's let this journey take forever. I want to walk with you forever. So wherever you're going, you go left, I want to go left. You go right, I want to go right. I don't care where we're going. And I don't want this journey to ever end. I always want to be going somewhere with you. Wherever you're going, I want to go. And he takes the long road, not the short path. Second thing. This, this last verse, the last line of verse 18, thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Okay, how is it possible that a group of slaves, they had just left slavery in Egypt. Slaves aren't known for insurmountable strength. How is it possible that two million slaves leaving Egypt look like an army ready for battle? Here's the answer. Because God was the one leading them. They look like an army because the captain of heaven's armies was leading them everywhere they were going. So they by default look like an army ready for battle. Would you have the captain of heaven's armies leading you? You're always ready to fight because he's with you. There's only one leader and guide on a God journey, God himself. It's not us. That's why I have no idea where God's taking us because I'm not the one leading us. And, and if that gives you anxiety of some kind and you think, I want a pastor who knows where we're going. Well, technically I do know where we're going, wherever he leads. But if you need somebody who, who needs to know, then what you need is a strategist not a spirit-led shepherd. My job is not to be the one to define where we're going. My job is to make sure that we don't get off his path of wherever he's leading. Now, I've told you this before, my addiction is his presence. It's my addiction. Wherever he leads, we must follow. Here's the second benefit of a God journey, his protection. Go back to Exodus 14, now in verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. Get the picture. Okay? He was leading them. Now, passes over, goes to the back of the bus. Why? The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. And as darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Why? Because God wouldn't let them think about this. It doesn't even make sense. At nighttime, when the Israelites would be asleep, that'd be the easiest time for the Egyptians to take them out. But why didn't they? Here's the awesome answer. Because they weren't allowed one of the biggest benefits of God's presence is God's protection. Why is the church walking around like we're completely unprotected? In my house, we've had to deal with fear from time to time. My oldest son, years ago, was having terrible nightmares at night. There were nights he couldn't get to sleep until 3 o'clock. He, he, and the, his recurring nightmare was that someone was going to break into our house, and it was very real to him. And he wouldn't even tell us all of the details, and we knew it was bad. We knew it involved members of our family getting hurt. We could just tell. And there's, there's a passage in our home that if you're battling with fear of any kind right now, especially if it's gripping, I just want to read this to you. It's eight verses but I think if, if you're struggling with fear and you just you want a little more divine swagger that comes from a reminder that the God of the universe personally protects you, this is your passage. Psalm 121, verse 1. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? The implied answer here is, heck no. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let me stumble. The one who watches over me will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself 
watches over me. You don't know how many times I've had to declare that by faith in my house. The Lord himself watches over me. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Okay, when I was younger, uh, I, I was, I know this is going to surprise you, I was scrawny. I know that's shocking to you, because it just seems so healthy compared to Brad. But you can tell, I mean, one of my best friends, several of my best friends here are, are like oxen. They're so big. This, this is a life principle of mine. Always have friends who are exponentially stronger than you. Well, I go back to when I was in junior high and freshman year of high school. I was in a huge public school, and I, was, I hadn't hit my growth spurt. I, I was small, and I was weak. And so my best friend back then was an offensive lineman that ended up playing at Kansas. He was huge, huge. Like he would take up the whole room when he would walk in. And I, I even though I was small, and I've told you this before, I struggled with, with cockiness back in the day. I always had something to be arrogant about. But back then, here's what I was arrogant about, my protection. Like I just walk around like I had nothing to worry about. Because if you're going to mess with me, I got our offensive linemen who will take you out and snap your neck like a dove. And so I just walk around like this. Tiniest little kid. Okay. It was silly back then. I need a little bit more of that back in my life now. You read Psalm 121. And God is saying, Preston, I personally watch over you and protect you. What would it change if you actually believe this? Here's what I think would happen with the bride, his church. We would go into even darker places than we do right now. Because we're not afraid of what will happen. Because God is with us. He is personally watching over us, and he is the God who never slumbers or sleeps. While the Israelites were sleeping in the night to get rest for their journey, the God of the universe was personally watching over them and protecting them, keeping their enemies at bay. Stay away from them now. Don't even come near. His protection is one of the best benefits of going on a journey with him. Here's the third big benefit, his provision. His provision, Exodus 12, verse 35. This is right after the 10th plague. And watch what happens. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. God had told Moses to tell the Israelites what happens next. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites. And they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. Okay, are you remembering? The Israelites were the Egyptians' slaves. And now, the Egyptians are giving the Israelites everything they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Interestingly enough, later on in Exodus, as God lays out, the blueprint for the tabernacle and the children of Israel give over 2,000 pounds in gold, over 7,000 pounds in silver, and I think over 3,000 pounds in bronze. Where did all that come from? The Egyptians. Have you ever heard the phrase, where God leads, he provides? One of the biggest revelations I ever got or have gotten so far pastoring this church was back in, in the beginning when I was completely stressed about money. And I didn't even realize how stressed I was. I was stressed about the bills. We had stepped out in faith on a few things and it was extremely tight. And one day I remembered the Lord just really sweetly but clearly saying, 
cannot be understand what's going on right now. Preston, it's like the two of us are at a restaurant sitting at a table together and the server brings the menus. And you open up the menu and it dawns on you, this is the single most expensive restaurant you've ever been in in your whole life. And I can see it on your face. You're trying to come up with a cool way to tell the server you've already eaten, you'll just have the bread and some water with lemon. Whereas I'm sitting there looking at the appetizers going, oh, these all look good. I think I'll have one of each, please. And Preston, the anxiety in your face. I can see it. I can feel it. And I haven't even gotten to the entrees yet. Not entree, entrees, because I'm getting one of each of those too. And Preston, for some reason, you think it's your job to pay the bill. He said, I don't ever want you to forget what I'm about to tell you. Son, I always pay my bill. If I ask for something and you bring it to me, I always pay my bill. On the other side, you try and bring me anything I don't ask for. You have every right to be stressed because I'm sticking you with the bill. It settled it that day. I haven't asked for provision one time. Probably in my whole life, I, I don't even think I've asked 10 times. I was stressed about money, but I never went to him and said, God, would you, would you bring this? Would you bring this? Here's why. One of the things I've learned when you walk with God, wherever he leads, he provides. He always pays his bill. So even if you have to step out in faith, God always takes care. Now, it may not be to the extent you or I expect, but scripture's clear that God didn't allow holes in their shoes. There was manna in the mornings. Was it a, a buffet, a breakfast buffet like from Vegas? No. But was there food to sustain them for the day's journey? Always. Wherever he leads, he provides. I believe we're gonna see in our families, in our lives, in our church, some moments of miraculous provision. I'm not just talking about big numbers. We've seen some big numbers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about at just the right time provision. These are the stories we will tell our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. But listen, these miraculous moments are always set up by some challenging difficulties. His provision, one of the benefits. Here's the next, his voice. His voice, Exodus 19, nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. We talked about this last week, but one of the bummers about this is the people of Israel, they, they saw the lightning, the thunder, the mountain shake, it freaked them out when God spoke. So they said to Moses, hey, we don't want to hear him speak. You hear him speak, you come tell us. One of my biggest prayers in the day in which we live is that the bride would become addicted to the voice of God like never before. Here's why. One of the biggest advantages for the people of God is the voice of God. It's like cheating on the test. How many of you hated taking tests in school? Hey, be honest. I, I, I'm going to put both my hands up. Both my, I hated tests in school unless it was about Bible stuff. Okay, can you imagine what school would have been like if we would have had a genius sitting next to us whispering the answers to the test? Do you know that's the advantage we've been given in this life? The one who knows everything walks with you if you're a child of God. He knows everything about everything. He knows what to do in every situation. One of the biggest advantages for the people of God is the voice of God. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says it like this, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go to the right or to the left. Here's the next benefit, his miracles. We're gonna take a minute here. His miracles. 
We're going to quickly go through these. I wish I had more time, but I don't, because this is my favorite part. My favorite part about going anywhere with God are the miraculous moments, the moments only he can take credit for. So let's walk through a couple of these. First miracle, a divine path. Exodus 14, 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord, not Moses, the Lord opened a path through the water with a strong east wind. If you're taking notes, write this one-liner down. God's favorite path for you is where there wasn't one before. Hope you're not addicted to the predictable. There's a path you can't see, and it is the path that leads to what is next. One of God's favorite things is to give you a path where it seems like there wasn't one before. Second miracle, dry ground. This is really specific. Keep going in verse 21. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. We get the picture of the water walled up on each side, but think about it. Under a sea, what is the dirt like? That's muddy, right? Okay. How easy would it be to walk through mud for miles? If it were muddy, it had been easy for the Egyptians to catch up to them. But God goes, and the muddy ground dried up for them to walk on. How can you tell me God isn't a God of the details? I wonder if anybody was panicking at the front end. Look how muddy it is. And just as they start complaining about how muddy the dirt is, it dried up under their feet. But it gets even better than that. It didn't just dry up under under theirs. Watch what God does with the Egyptians. First, confusion. Verse 24, but just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw there, the enemy's forces, into total confusion. Now, I know some of us are thinking, well, God is not the author of confusion. That doesn't mean he doesn't like to use confusion. Let me say it like this. God doesn't confuse his people, just his enemies. Just his enemies. He threw them into a state of of confusion. Now, when we look at the church right now, I think we're seeing a lot of confusion inside the church. What does that mean? Well, here's what I would say. Confusion for God's people only happens when they abandon God's path. Things are clear if I'm just following his steps. They're clear. I just look for the Footstep in the, oh, there he is, there he is. Okay, we're good. You know when I get confused? Hey, this path looks easier over here. Confusion every time. God doesn't confuse his people, just his enemies. I love it when he talks like this. Again, this is another reason why we should walk around with our shoulders pinned back a little bit. Because no matter how organized they appear, whether they realize it or not, confusion is coming their way. Let me show you even a little more God of the details. Verse 25, bent wheels. God twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Now we see God sarcastically messing with his enemies. Can you imagine being one of the charioteers? You're at the front of the line catching up to the Israelites quickest. That's who was closing in on them because they were being pulled by horses. And I just wonder how close they got, close enough to be seen, but I wonder how close they got. And then all of a sudden, Every chariot had bent wheels. And I just wonder if God isn't sitting there watching this movie going, ha ha! Been waiting for that part. 
Those fools thought they were going to get close to my children. And all he did was look in the direction of the bent wheels and they busted. But it gets even better. God sent rain. Now, we don't see this in the Exodus account. But we see this in Psalm 77, verse 16. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. You get the picture. That the walls of the Red Sea, just flat sea. Scripture paints this picture as though God walks up to the sea, and the sea goes, oh, I'm getting out of your way. (laughs) Some of you aren't getting this. We should be so much more confident in our God than we are. The water gets out of his way. Whoop! Don't want to mess with that guy. But it gets even better. Watch what God does. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Okay, question. Where was the rain? Again, if it were raining on the Israelites, what would have happened to the dirt? It wouldn't have been dry anymore, right? So we know the rain wasn't happening on the Israelites. Where was it raining? Back there, people. Back there. You think that's just a coincidence? Or do you think this is the God of the universe trying to prove a point? Only place mankind is safe is with me. Apart from me, there's no such thing as safety when you're against me. Here's the last thing, the last benefit, your awe. Verse 31 of Exodus 14, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. Watch their response. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I think one of the reasons we're about to go on this journey is God is ready for the awe of his children to go up a few notches. I think it's possible the church has gotten so comfortable with the presence of God that it's almost as though it's not a big deal anymore when we're in the presence of God. There's only one way for that to change, for awe and wonder to return in the house of the Lord. And when their awe increased, what happened in their faith? Their faith did too. Lastly, what's, what are the responsibilities of a journeyman, a journeywoman? And since we're going to spend the next 12 weeks going through this, this is just a quick closing point. Remember the picture in Scripture when the first army that the children of Israel faced after Egypt it was the Amalekites, right? It wasn't the Egyptians. They didn't even fight the Egyptians. One of my favorite verses, God says to Moses, and Moses says to the people, those Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. I love it when he talks like that. They didn't fight the Egyptians. The first army they had to fight was the Amalekites. Question, who did the Amalekites come after first? The passage on this battle where Moses had to, remember, hold up his arms, and as long as he was holding up their arms, they won. Most of the Exodus account points to that because it was miraculous. But Deuteronomy chapter 25 tells us exactly who the Amalekites went after first. Verse 17, never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. What's the big responsibility of someone about to go on a journey? Here's the answer, to prepare. And there are two really important things we do in preparation for a journey that is God-sized. And we're going to spend the next three months doing these two things 
in various ways. First, one of the wisest ways to prepare for a God-sized journey is to lighten your load. To lighten your load. Some of us are carrying some things God did not ask us to carry. Why is it important not to carry that which God hasn't asked us to carry? Because there are some things God wants to bless you with that you're going to need to carry that I can't receive. I can't carry if I'm too busy carrying things God didn't ask me to carry. Well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to lighten the load? Well, one of the things we're going to do a lot of for the next three months is assessment. I'm going to ask every one of you, with every of the six, each of the six major areas of your life, I'm going to ask you over the next three months to take assessment. See, a lot of us, when people say, hey, how you doing? We just go, I'm doing great. Yeah, that's what you think. But if you were to take an assessment, what would the assessment say? I'm doing great spiritually. Well, if you were asked some pointed questions about where you are spiritually, what would the assessment say? One of the things that scripture is called is a mirror. Okay, that's part of what assessment is. It tells us where we're at. We're going to take some assessment. You're going to answer questions about your marriage if you're married. You're going to answer questions about your finances. You're going to answer questions about your emotions. You're going to answer a lot of questions over the next couple months. And some of us are going to be faced to force the truth about how unhealthy some areas of our lives are. And instead of getting mad at me or the staff or God, here's what I'd suggest you do. Take it as a divine heads up that God wants to help you before we go on this journey. You know how much harder a God-sized journey is with an earth-sized limp? The goal of our assessments are simply going to be to help you lighten the load. Then the second part of being prepared is exercise. We're going to ask you to do some things over the next three months to flex some muscle, to build some muscle. Well, Preston, I'm just exhausted. I've got enough on my plate. Let me sweetly say this. The reason you're exhausted is because you don't quite have enough strength to carry what God's asking you to carry in this season of your life. And here's what you have to know about me. I'm totally okay with you hating me. Because when you go to the gym and you walk up to your trainer and you go, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just exhausted. I'm feeling a little just lightheaded. And they look at you and go, so? It's leg day. Let's go. You love them? No. When you pass out in the middle of your workout, glad you have them in, in your life? No. But weeks and weeks later, when you wake up one morning and go, man, I'm feeling stronger than I've ever felt before. You love them then, don't you? So here's what you have to know. I know you're going to hate us at times over the next couple months. That's how I'll know we're doing it right. Remember, one of the dangers of the church in the last days is itching ears. I'm not here to preach what makes you happy. I'm here to preach the word of God the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the living, breathing word of God that strengthens all of God's people. We're going to get stronger over these next three months. Here's why. Because God is worth it. He picked us. He picked you to go on this journey. Instead of getting all rah, rah, yes, we're going. I'd rather you just put your head down and go, oh man, this is going to be a lot of work. But I'm here for it. God, whatever you want. I give you access to every area of my life. And if something is out of alignment with your will or your heart or your ways, over the next three months, God, 
do surgery on me. I don't want to go on this journey limping. I want to go walking. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to pray a simple prayer designed to be simple so that it's not confusing for any. As we kick off this resilient series, Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Search us out these next three months. Point out our areas of weakness and give each of us a strategy to be strengthened. Because when your people are strong, they aren't focused on surviving. They're focused on others. God, would you help each of us prepare like never before for this journey the likes of which we've never been on before. You are with us. You are leading us. Now may you see our response. While we don't know what's coming, we know what to do. We must prepare. We must get healthier. We must get stronger. Help us. I prophetically speak over every person that by the end of this year, they're going to be healthier and stronger in every area of their lives if they will just submit to your plan and process that you will anoint as they walk on your path. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.